Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Through the first five years of the college football playoff format, there have been a few rules of thumb we've come to rely on. One, if you have two or more losses, don't bother applying. That looks like it's going to apply again this year. Regardless of the details, Michigan, Florida, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, anybody with two or more losses, you're almost certainly out. Another rule of thumb, if you're an undefeated Power 5 champion, you're going to get in. The only three who can possibly fit that description, of course, Ohio State in the Big Ten, LSU in the SEC, Clemson in the ACC. We all know if they keep winning, they're all in. In between those two rules of thumb, there is still a lot to debate, and with that in mind, we bring in a guy who played in the NFL for more than a decade. He was a star at West Virginia, and he's now an outstanding college football analyst for ESPN and ESPN.com. Anthony Becht, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. What will you be most intrigued by as we look forward to tonight's next round of those college football playoff committee rankings? Well, you know, I think obviously, uh, you know, how they look at Alabama moving forward you know, you just talked about a couple scenarios if things play out, you know, the easiest way where LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson continue to win out. Who's going to be that fourth team? And you know, I think right now the, the the teams that are sitting pretty, if the if they continue to win, is the Pac-12 because if you have a, a championship game in your conference that has two teams playing together that are in the top seven heading into that game and that winner not only wins, but maybe wins by two touchdowns, that, that, would be, that would be really, really beneficial right now and helpful for the Pac-12. So I think right now, if you just look at it, uh, you know, where Alabama will be and kind of where everybody else is situated as far as who they played and had already beaten, because we all know that the teams that are at the top, who they beat, they need those teams to win. So Auburn's and and the Notre Dames and the Michigans, all these teams become important uh, where, you know, a team like Oklahoma, who's 9-1, and one, you know, who are they going to play now that, you know, where's Baylor going to get picked? Because they were already in the high, te- in, the, in the low teams, they'll probably bounce back. And if Oklahoma were to beat Baylor, is that enough to get them where they need to be? I don't think it is. So I think Pac-12 right now, all things, all things uh, where it is, they're sitting pretty good. You mentioned Alabama. The Tide were number five last week. Everybody agrees that their single loss is certainly a quality loss to LSU in a close game. Uh, everybody also agrees that they lack a lot of quality wins. They do have at Auburn still to play on November 30th. But my question to you is, what do we know about how the committee will treat a team that might have an impressive 11-1 record? but in all likelihood, you know, is going to be sitting at home while others play for conference championships. And then the added detail, of course, is that Tua Tungavaloa, their star quarterback, helped them build this 9-1 and resume, and he's not coming back this season. What's, what's your ed- educated guess on how that part of the equation will be treated? I don't really think it matters. I'll be quite honest. I, you know, Auburn's ranked 12. They have, uh, they have three losses. Uh, on their schedule, I mean, you know, you got to win a good game, right? You got to beat a good team. Their their game against Oregon, if we go back in time, I mean, you know, they won that game within some circumstances that Oregon didn't convert. It was a close game. It was kind of a coin flip as far as you know. You could probably walk out of that game saying they're about, you know, they're even at that moment. But Oregon's been able to kind of win out, and, and Auburn. I mean, yeah, they're a good team, but they don't really have that other quality win. I mean, 
you know, that that's the biggest thing right now. Three losses. I mean, we could throw a lot of teams in with three losses and say, well, they're pretty good. I mean, because Auburn, we just visually see them in the SEC, and we know we talk about the SEC. We just think they're a really good team. We all think they're good, yeah. but I don't know if they're elite, right? So that's the biggest thing. So I don't really think nothing changes for Alabama, regardless of what they do. Even if they were to beat Auburn by, you know, two touchdowns or more, I just don't think if everything falls into place the way it should be, that they're going to be able to crack through and and stay ahead of the Pac-12 champion if they stay and if they win. Now, if things happen, uh, there's no doubt Alabama's in it. And I think that, you know, with their backup quarterback coming in, I mean, he had a pretty good game when he played when Tua was out. I think he's just as capable of not, you know, winning these two games and, and seeing how it finishes out. But I just don't see how Alabama has – their percentages, to me, are really low regardless of who their starting quarterback is. Anthony Becht is joining us on the David Glenn Show. Follow him on Twitter, at Anthony underscore Becht. Find his work at ESPN and ESPN.com. I want to tap into your time in a lot of NFL locker rooms over the years because here in North Carolina, the Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, had a rare meeting with the media yesterday, and his ground rules included, don't ask me about the future of our head coach, Ron Rivera, and our general manager, Marty Herney. So he talked about, you know, a dozen other things in pretty good detail, actually. But he just wasn't going to go down that road. In your experience, I mean, the Panthers are 5-5. Five and five. They're now a long shot for the playoffs. Under David Tepper's ownership, they haven't made the playoffs at all. And some people think, you know, a guy worth $12 billion who had a lot of success as a hedge fund manager might not be the most patient guy in the world with with a coach and GM that he did not hire himself. Are you a believer that players in that Panthers locker room, for the most part, can block this stuff out as professionals here in mid-November as they're trying to, you know, beat New Orleans this week? Or is that kind of thing that does bleed into the locker room if you're not sure your coach and GM are going to survive? No, I don't really. You know, as a player, I was on the, my last season in the league. I was with the Chiefs. We had a midseason firing two years before that. I was with the Rams. They had a midseason firing. Didn't seem like it affected anybody in the locker room then, except the fact that you had new leadership within that actual year that was already around the team, just not everybody on a daily basis. Whatever happens and nothing changes within the season, no one's going to care. It only matters, you know, once the actual – the situation or the, the, the decision comes down. And if that's what the, the route that they go, I mean, you got to kind of look, he's going to have to sit back and say, okay, well, where is Carolina right now? I mean, to me, I would say, I mean, I don't know where you would sit that they're, they've overachieved, you know, obviously not having Cam there and, and right. what uh, Allen has done at the quarterback position to kind of keep them alive. They're not out of it, uh, you know, a hundred percent yet things can happen. So I think you got to let this thing play out because, you know, one thing I know about Ron Rivera, man, he's very resilient. His guys play hard for him, and, you know, they could get another little run together, and all of a sudden you find yourself right in the mix or right on the outside uh, kind of creeping in. So uh, I think he's going to – the owner, the ownership's going to kind of stand, stand firm. I think it's smart not to comment on anything. Let these guys go out, and if they want to feel a sense of pressure, I think that's good. I, I like that. I, I don't like when you just automatically hug – your coach and the organization, the GM mid season, when things maybe aren't going as well and you assure them it, it rest. It, some guys may take that uh, and, 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 and not maybe, you know, they say, Oh, okay, I'm good to go. Where, as if you kind of put the notches on it and they don't know, it keeps them grinding. And that's, I think people need that in the, in the world in general. So I think it's a positive thing what he did. And I think it may actually, may help him get the the answer he needs once the season's over. 
given how much you cover and analyze college football and, of course, your long years in the NFL uh, as a player yourself, when you project the current college quarterbacks, especially the draft-eligible ones, to the next level, um, I mean, David Tepper dodged this yesterday because he said, hey, Cam's still under contract. Uh, Will Greer, we just drafted, you know, is under contract. And Kyle Allen, while not under contract, technically is under the Panthers' control moving forward. So he's like, why didn't we go to Atlanta to watch Colin Kaepernick? Because we already have three quarterbacks, you know, on the roster, so to speak. Um, w for Panthers fans wondering if the next answer, maybe if Cam is elsewhere and Kyle Allen's not the guy, who are you circling at the college level as having that best chance to make a smooth transition to the NFL? <laughs> oh, it's so hard. I mean, it's, you know, you, you feel like you see guys that are playing, you know, you look at a guy like Herbert at Oregon, you know, he's got the size, the strength, the athleticism, and you think to yourself, man, that, that would translate. That, that's going to be someone that's going to get to the next level and be that guy, and he's got everything you're looking for. But now with it, I think the landscape is changing a bit, right? Because we start to see kind of, uh, you know, a different style of quarterback that's kind of working. I mean, it's, you know, you, you look at what Kyler Murray has done in the NFL and, and, and some of these quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, yeah. that if you completely change kind of the organization and how you look at things, you know, you can you really set yourself up uh, you know, to, 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 to change the dynamic and be tough. But the quarterbacks we're looking at that are coming out, to me, are, are a little more pocket presence guys, you know, a little more true to form with what with, with we've normally seen. I think the biggest question mark is what, like Joe Barrow. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he looks like, to me, the guy that's going to be the sharpest. And his, his mentals seem to be the cleanest. And I said, that's a big deal. And he wins. He's winning big games. Uh, the pressure's on him every single week and he continues to step up and be that guy, I got to think right now, heading into the draft, early prediction, that he's going to be a much-desired quarterback uh, coming out. You know, obviously, if he wins at all, this even going to press it even higher. But to me, it looks like he's the guy right now that teams are going to want to put on their football team and, and feel that transition be pretty quick. Anthony Beck is joining us. Between now and the conference championship games, back to college football, uh, well, who has the best chance of sort of upsetting the apple cart? LSU's toughest remaining opponent before the SEC title game would be Texas A&M. You know, Ohio State's is going to be, I guess you could say, Penn State at home this weekend or at Michigan the following weekend. Clemson only has South Carolina before the ACC title game. Georgia has uh, A&M, you know, this week. Uh, Alabama has Auburn, and, and you know, down the line, Pitt or, or Oregon, you mentioned earlier, Oregon and Utah may have each other down the road in the Pac-12 title game. I mean, who, how, how crazy do you think this is going to end up getting as you forecast possible upsets? Are we going to be back to probably in the final four heavyweights from heavyweight conferences like Ohio State and Clemson? Well, I, I mean, the toughest road to finish out has got to be Ohio State. I mean, if they can clean the slate with the regular season and then go in and win whoever they play against in the, in, the, in the championship game, I mean, they would probably get some votes on being potentially the top team in yeah. the country, yeah. depending on how things shake out. Uh, you know, I think we all feel that LSU, uh, if they just get to the uh, championship game clean, that they're in regardless, win or lose, whoever that may be or who they'll play against, which would be probably Georgia. So, you know, look, I, I think Ohio State's got the toughest road. I mean, it, those are challenging games. Penn State is not a given. I mean, I look at the number, minus 18. I, I want to believe that because what I've seen them do scoring-wise, but I promise you, Ohio, Penn State is not going to be the same team 
when it played Minnesota and not going to be the same team, you know, when they played a close game against Michigan. They're, they're, they're going to play up to their opponent's level, and I think it's going to be a, a little bit closer than 18. I mean, I, I feel like they can go out there and win that game. Uh, it is on the road. It is tough, but, man, we see this stuff all the time. So, And then you got to go to Michigan. And How do you feel beating Penn? If you win against Penn State, you feel great about yourself. Is there a letdown? Yeah. Or do you lose, and then all of a sudden you find yourself, man, we got to win another game here to, 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 to get ourselves where we need to be, or we could be potentially out with two weeks to go. So I think the Big Ten is going to be uh, an interesting finish here. I, I want to say Ohio State's got a, a real good chance of winning both, but I wouldn't be surprised if they slipped up. His name is Anthony Becht on Twitter at Anthony underscore Becht, B-E-C-H-T, former NFL tight end, West Virginia University superstar, and now a college football analyst at ESPN. Thanks for the visit, as always, on the David Glenn Show, man. Keep up the good work. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too. John Forsland of the Carolina Hurricanes live at about 45 minutes. A guy who helped build a Stanley Cup champion, Jim Rutherford, former Canes GM, now with the Pittsburgh Penguins, went into the Hockey Hall of Fame last night. Does the star captain from that Canes Stanley Cup championship team of 2006 have a good chance to getting in soon? We'll, we'll ask John Forslund that question. Of course, the Canes are back on the ice tonight at Chicago, back home Thursday against the Philadelphia Flyers. John Forslund on some hockey in 45 minutes. Anthony Becht in the books on some football. David Tepper met with the media yesterday. I have more of my highlights from that rare media opportunity. Guy's worth about $12 billion. He is a mover and a shaker. He would not take questions about the futures of Ron Rivera and, and Marty Herney as his head coach and general manager, but he really answered virtually everything else that the media posed to him. More on that exchange with more of your phone calls. If you had David Tepper's ear, maybe as a Panthers fan, what would be your number one question or request? And then because of the Michael Jordan story of last hour, someone got Michael to deposit a check of only $5 back in 1984. There was a billiards matchup. A guy lost five bucks to Michael, and he asked if he could pay Michael by check. So he signs a $5 check to Michael. Michael deposits it. And while depositing it, signed it to deposit it. Well, the original writer of the check, if you will, was a guy who held on to it for 35 years and now is auctioning off the $5 bank check with thanks to that signature slash autograph of a guy who wrote Mike Jordan back in 1984. That check is now worth thousands of dollars at auction, and it's actually being auctioned off as we speak. That inspired this question, what's the most obscure piece of memorabilia you have that's associated in some way with a famous sports figure? You can tell your story at 1-800-849-2761. I have more on college basketball, Duke, Carolina, NC State, and otherwise. The Wolfpack is back on the court tonight and Kevin Keats is actually making the right kind of noise on the recruiting trail as well the college football weekend that awaits us by the way does not include a lot of potential trip-up games you know Penn State at Ohio State is huge for obvious reasons they're both in the top 10 the Buckeyes are one of only three remaining unbeatens but the Nittany Lions are among those half a dozen most interesting one-loss resumes so that's a whopper Georgia hosts Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. That is not an assumed victory for the Bulldogs. Remember, they lost at home to South Carolina. So that I would put on my must-see TV list as well. Pitt, Virginia Tech, 
doesn't matter much nationally, but matters a lot as both of those teams are chasing Virginia in the ACC's Coastal Division for the right to face Clemson in the ACC title game. Wolfpack at Georgia Tech this Thursday night on the gridiron. The Pack must win out against the Yellow Jackets and then hosting UNC in the regular season finale to keep their bowl streak alive for Dave Doran. Of course, the Tar Heels need to win this week against Mercer and the following week at NC State for Mac Brown to have a bowl season in part two of his tenure with the Tar Heels. Duke is at Wake Forest on Saturday night. A lot to look forward to, but not as many earth-tilting games in college football this weekend as compared to most recent weeks and of course whatever may await us on conference championship weekend a few weeks from now that's when a lot will be at stake as perhaps obviously not all these matchups are set yet but it could be LSU Georgia for the SEC title with both teams having a lot at stake uh, maybe Ohio State maybe not but that could be a really good, you know, one-loss Minnesota or a two-loss Wisconsin team in the Big Ten title game. Clemson's going to face either a UVA, a, U a Virginia Tech, or a Pitt. And elsewhere, you have that possible matchup of 11-1 Oregon against 11-1 Utah. Again, both have to win a couple games for it to be that high profile. But that still gives the Pac-12 a chance of crashing this party if the Pac-12 champ is a 12-1 team with a victory over it, maybe their opponent at that point is 11-1, either Utah or Oregon. That at least puts you in the mix, but the more help you get above you in the rankings, the better, especially when you can contemplate a scenario where if LSU and Ohio State and Clemson all keep winning, we know they're taking up three of the, of the four slots. After that, it gets interesting, but the committee has implied that the Georgia Bulldogs are in the driver's seat, and if they win all the way out – they too know that they would be in the final four. Remember, the final victory for the Bulldogs, if it came to that, would be against the LSU Tigers in that SEC title game. 1-800-849-2761. Cameron has a good sports memorabilia short story to share. Terry and Dennis do as well. You can chime in on the David Tepper question of the day. What is your number one request or question of the Panthers owner? He certainly shared a lot with the media yesterday. I'll give you more of those highlights. No audio from that, by the way. David Tepper asked not to be quoted directly. Everything was for background. So you're not going to see video of that. You're not going to see audio of that. The 5-5 five and five Panthers are an extreme long shot to make the playoffs. David Tepper is the wealthiest owner in the NFL and a guy who sometimes has patience but sometimes is so aggressive that he buys somebody's house that he doesn't like, tears it down, and then build something twice as large on the same property just to make a point. He actually did that when he was denied a promotion in his business endeavors earlier in his career. Which David Tepper will we see when it comes to evaluating Ron Rivera and Marty Herney at the end of this season? Those were among the only questions Tepper did not take. More on what he did say, 1-800-849-2761, with your phone calls next on The David Glenn Show. Coach Lou Holtz is joining us. What can you tell us about those four seasons in Raleigh? Everybody from North Carolina calling us Boo You and Agriculture You. And I remember walking in the press conference saying, I want everybody in the state to understand agriculture is better than no culture. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back. 
to the David Glenn Show. John Forslund on some hockey, including the Hall of Fame. Jim Rutherford, Rod Brindamore, the return of the big rig. Our good friend Mike Maniscalco. Kane's back on the ice tonight at Chicago. The Blackhawks are playing well lately. Kane's have been on a roll as well. They're above the playoff cut line, as you know. Your NBA Hornets, your NFL Panthers, both below the playoff cut line as we speak, with really not a lot of optimism in either case that they will be able to leap above that postseason cut line between now and the time when it matters most. Dennis is in Cary. Terry is in Raleigh. Others are calling from the mountains and the beaches and everywhere you'd love to live in between. We have a memorabilia question related to something Michael Jordan signed back in 1984, a $5 bank check with his signature because of a deposit on it. He's expected to sell for thousands of dollars next month on the auction circuit. What is the most obscure piece of memorabilia you have that's associated in some way with a famous sports figure? And then because David Tepper met with the media yesterday in a rare kind of setting, what is your number one question or request of the Panthers owner? You can jump in on either of those questions of the day right now at 1-800-849-2761. I always like to take a step back as we come to Dennis and Terry and you when I'm trying to understand where somebody might go with something. In fact, Darren, you and I have worked together for four years. There are some people in our universe who are so busy with other things that we're kind of glad that we're off their radar, right? And then there are other people in our universe that we work with more regularly, right? Every once in a while, if you're a head coach or a general manager or even, you know, Cam Newton wondering about your future, you wonder whether you're on the front burner in the eyes of, in this case, the guy who owns the team. Because the Panthers are 5-5, five and five, because David Tepper has never experienced the playoffs, he knows that Ron Rivera and Cam Newton together have gone to the playoffs a bunch of times, right? Four times in eight years. He knows that that's a decent track record. That's not bad. It's not Patriots-level elite, but there aren't many like it. In the bigger picture, he understands both that Ron Rivera's track record as an NFL head coach is better than every other head coach the Panthers have ever had, but Ron Rivera is also a guy in year nine as a head coach who is one of the only guys who's been around that long. In fact, he and Jason Garrett are the only correct answers to this question. Who has been around as the head coach of their current franchise for nine seasons or longer without winning the Super Bowl? There are only two answers. One is Ron Rivera. Yes, he got the Panthers to the Super Bowl back in 2015, Cam's MVP season. The other is Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett's in year 10 and has never gotten the Cowboys to the Super Bowl uh, and, and not even getting there. Ron Rivera has gotten the Panthers there but came up short of a victory, of course, four years ago against the Broncos. Take another step back. David Tepper, remember, is a guy who has accomplished most of the other things on his front burner. You may not know this because it's part of his personal life, but before David Tepper became the owner of the Panthers, he went through a difficult divorce. Okay, that was about five years ago. So for most normal human beings, your marriage would be a significant part of your day-to-day -day life if you're married. Well, he's not. And that means more of his attention is on the Carolina Panthers. If he had lots of other projects that were still underway or that he was still making decisions on, 
maybe the Panthers would not be the biggest planet in his universe the way they are right now. But what do we know, including from his meeting with the media yesterday? He has already redone the entire business side of the organization. He has not really messed with the football side, head coach Ron Rivera, GM Marty Herney, and a lot of others. He has already finished his redo of the business side. He became worth $12 billion plus because he was a business expert, in his case, as a hedge fund manager. Oh, well, isn't he still busy with his hedge fund? Well, not exactly. He decided not long ago, remember, that he was going to give capital back to his clients as he wound down a company that made him a billionaire. It's called Appaloosa Management. For a while, it was one of the most successful hedge funds on planet Earth. It's what made David Tepper almost a godlike figure in that corner of the financial universe. He's been winding that down. So what does that mean? There's no wife in the picture. There's no hedge fund that took up a bunch of his time in the picture. He's already made great strides on the whole Rock Hill, South Carolina complex. It's going to be a state-of-the-art Panthers headquarters. If you don't know your geography all that well, just think barely on the other side of the South Carolina border. There's only so many places to grow in and near Charlotte, right? So you buy less expensive real estate on the other side of the state line in a part of the country where, of course, you've been marketing yourselves as the team of the Carolinas, plural, since the day Jerry Richardson brought the NFL to the city of Charlotte. It's never been about just North Carolina. So why not have your state-of-the-art new facility in the other Carolina while keeping your team in a stadium based right there in Charlotte? He's already making strides on bringing an MLS franchise to Charlotte. The MLS commissioner himself, Don Garber, said that Charlotte, thanks to David Tepper mainly, is the front runner for the next expansion franchise the MLS might award within the next couple of months. You see how a lot of dominoes are falling into place for better or for worse? No more wife. You're near clinching the MLS bid. You've made the decision about Rock Hill, and you're making progress on that. He said yesterday that he's close to telling Wofford whether training camp is going to remain at Jerry Richardson's alma mater, anyone who doesn't remember why it was there in the first place and has been forever. He's going to tell Wofford soon, we're either moving training camp to our new bubble here in Charlotte, or we're going to stay at Wofford for another year or two before our state-of-the-art complex is finished being built. One by one, little by little, the marriage domino, the MLS domino, the headquarters in South Carolina domino, the Wofford domino, the business side of the operations domino, the tying up his hedge fund domino. I mean, all three of his kids are grown. It's not like he's going home and making lunches or running through the carpool lane. Like, I know some pretty wealthy, important people that have been my business partners. I would be like the crumb in their large rock universe, right? And sometimes you're a bigger planet in their universe, and sometimes you're just a little Pluto out there somewhere, and you're one of the many things in their orbit. There are times you'd rather be the big planet and times you'd rather be the little Pluto that only comes up every once in a while. If you're Ron Rivera and Marty Herney, it would be better for you if David Tepper was in his old lifestyle. Married, children, hedge fund, hunting the MLS rather than cl coming close to clinching the bid, having to decide Rock Hill or not, having to pick a location. 
He's tying up all of his loose ends, folks. And his universe is filled more with Carolina Panthers stuff than ever before. In fact, he said that after the loss to the Falcons, he woke up twice in the middle of the night. I can't even use the word on the air that he used to describe his mood when the Panthers lose that way. In other words, losing is bad, puts you in a bad mood. When you lose by four touchdowns at home to a divisional rival, he used a word that begins with S-H and ends in T-T-Y. That was how he described his mood. And he woke up twice in the middle of the night from Sunday into Monday because of that. Now, he's a competitive guy. That's not the first time he's had a sleepless night or whatever. The Panthers are more central to the guy's existence right now than at any time since he sniffed the idea of buying them and at any time in his entire relationship with the NFL, which, remember, for a long time, included him being a minority owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers organization. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Remember that Ron Rivera is the seventh longest head tenured head coach in the NFL, and five of the six who have been in their current positions longer than he have won the Super Bowl. Ron has not. David Tepper is a thoughtful man and a reasonable man. He is not always a patient man. And I think the way his life is structured right now, Ron Rivera and Marty Herney would be wise to finish strongly after this 5-5 five and five start. Dennis is in Cary and wants to tell a story. What is the most obscure piece of memorabilia you have that's associated in some way with a famous sports figure? Someone is selling a bank check signed by Mike Jordan in 1984, and they're expected to get thousands of dollars for it at auction. Dennis, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. How's it going, DG? Doing great, man. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I uh, back in the early 90s, after high school, I, I'm from Augusta, Georgia, and I worked on the Augusta National Golf Course on wow. the recruit. That's cool. Um, got to play it twice. Wow. Um, we, uh, we were told that Michael Jordan was going to be coming out. To, he was a guest of one of the members to come out and play. And this was right after his father passed, uh, was killed, and uh, he had retired. Okay. Um, he came out. and Mid-90s, yeah. Yes, early, early, yeah, early to mid-90s. Um, the golf course crew, I had a buddy on there that had two uh, the yellow, bright yellow Augusta National golf flags that go on top of the flag. Yeah. And he, uh, they were told they could not approach Michael Jordan for autographs. The nursery crew, uh, those of us on the nursery crew, were not given that uh, directive. So he asked if I would get the two signs. I told him, I said, I'll be happy to, but I get to keep one of them. So I was. This is brilliant. This is a brilliant display of human nature, by the way. The Augusta National people clearly didn't want anybody approaching Michael, but technically they didn't tell everybody. So, Dennis, I, I respect this. Go ahead and continue your story. This is fantastically creative. Yeah, I was able to uh, catch him uh, when he made the turn. Uh, he went in, got a little bite to eat. I got him after he came out and was heading over to the uh, tent to tea and uh, approached him. He was very polite. Cool. Just asked him if I could uh, have him sign uh, those two flags, and he uh, obliged. And I was able to uh, to keep one of those myself, and I have it tucked away, rolled up in a box. That Sounds is a, like I could probably uh, auction it off for a little bit of money. But yeah, I, I think you could. Rainy day. Yeah, maybe save it for another time. Now, tell me this. because Were you at all concerned that somebody 
could see you, perhaps somebody wearing a green jacket, if you know what I'm saying, could see you and say, what's the guy from the nursery crew doing there asking our nice guest Michael Jordan for his autograph? Didn't we tell most of these guys not to do that? Was there any concern at all? I wasn't overly concerned because I was on the clubhouse and cabin nursery crew. So I was able to catch him when he was not with, with the member that he uh -huh. was a guest of. He was by himself, just sort of walking walking along behind the clubhouse under the great big live oak. Look at this. Do you guys see the individual brilliance in this story? I mean, most would have said, oh, I overheard somebody else being told never to approach Michael. And Dennis found a way. He adapted, he improvised, he overcame. That's a great story, Dennis. Thank you for sharing it today. By the way, I have very few skills when it comes to, like, even managing the flower bed in my front yard. I would imagine being on the nursery crew at Augusta National is you got to be advanced there. I mean, you got to be. Which makes it more of a shame that Dennis only got to play it twice. He worked there. I don't know how those rules work. <laughs> I mean, uh, they're very protective. Right. Think about, like, you got it. if you're in the media and you cover the, uh, Augusta, the Masters, Augusta National, you're in a lottery that only spits out a very small percentage of winners. So, yeah, of course they're protective in who gets to play and how often. I don't know how, how Dennis managed his two rounds. I wonder if they were legit rounds. Like on the record <laughs> or rounds? maybe he skirted or in. Or maybe the nursery crew is even more mischievous than we thought. Well done with the MJ autograph, Dennis and Carey. 1-800-849-2761. More of your sports memorabilia stories. Who knew that a bank check signed by Mike Jordan in 1984 would still be worth, in somebody's eyes, thousands of dollars all these years later? You can jump in with your question or comment on the other side. David Tepper met the media yesterday. That inspired a question of the day. If you're a Panthers fan, what's your number one question or request of the richest owner in the NFL when it comes to the future of a franchise that at this point looks like it's going to miss the playoffs one more time? College football is front and center, and I have a lot more on college basketball. NC State hosts Alcorn State tonight. More importantly, perhaps, Kevin Keats is making the right kind of waves on the recruiting trail. Meanwhile, Duke is number one in the new AP poll. The Devils are headed to New York for a doubleheader in something called the Empire Classic. UNC is 3-0 and hosts the Phoenix of Elon tomorrow night. Cole Anthony, the elite freshman point guard, and the veteran big Garrison Brooks playing well so far, but they're going to need help if the Tar Heels are going to get where they want to go. Louisville and UVA. Give, you, give the ACC four of the top eight or nine teams in the entire country right now. One more time that the ACC in football is represented by Clemson and not a whole lot more. In basketball, though, as usual, the ACC has not only a heavyweight or two, but also some big-time quality depth right behind that top tier. 1-800-849-2761. Your phone calls and more of those headlines. John Forsland in about 20 minutes. Back to your calls next on the David Glenn Show. I don't want those damn dookies rooting for us. They've hated all year long. Let them go right on hate. If the situation were reversed, I would hope they would lose by 100. You're in fantasy land if you ever think NC State's going to make it back to the national championship game. So just forget that right now. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Keeping the peace in NC on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. John Forslund on the Hall of Fame. And all things hockey. And Rod Brindamore and Jim Rutherford 
and the Canes at Chicago. And the Canes returning home to face the Philadelphia Flyers on Thursday. John drops by the voice of the Canes in about 15 minutes. Terry and Jerry and Steve all want to jump in either on our memorabilia question or our David Tepper question of the day. One thing I promised as it's a big week in college basketball, obviously NFL and college football continue to lead the way. The NBA and the NHL and college hoops still kind of warming up to various degrees. But I mentioned that whereas Duke heads to New York as the number one team in the country now, 4-0 and the Devils, they get Cal on Thursday, and then either Georgetown or Texas on Friday, the Longhorns of Shaka Smart are really good. That would be one heck of a matchup if it's Longhorns-Blue Devils on Friday in New York. Devils number one. Longhorns are in the top 25. They're both 4-0 and as we speak. So it, it depends on the outcome of the two games, Duke, Cal, and Georgetown, Texas. But I'd love to see Devils against Longhorns on Friday. Carolina hosts Elon tomorrow night. More Cole Anthony for you. Tar Heels trying to figure out who steps up beyond their elite freshman point guard and their veteran big man Garrison Brooks. That's an unanswered question, at least for now. And whereas the Wolfpack gets back on the court with its 3-1 and record tonight against Alcorn State, C.J. Bryce is playing well. D.J. Funderburk is back from his suspension as the Wolfpack's best big guy. Markel Johnson hasn't even found himself yet, and he's the senior point guard. He's been sort of out of sorts, so the Wolfpack certainly has that uh, old-school massive potential for growth. Markel has been a shadow of himself to this point. So if C.J. Bryce keeps playing well, Funderburk keeps building after his suspension, and Markel gets back to his old self, this year's Wolfpack, I think, is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And whereas maybe not up there with Duke, Louisville, UVA, and UNC, I think the Wolfpack is going to be an NCAA tournament team for the second time in Kevin Keats three years in Raleigh. We'll see. Long way to go there. But I brought up something earlier because I think it matters more than many college basketball fans think it matters. When you go out and get some of the best players in high school basketball to commit to your school, I know, because I've been around a long time, there's a chunk of college sports fans who roll their eyes at recruiting. I'm just here to tell you this. There are no examples of national champions where you did not have a future top 30 pick on your roster when you won it all. No examples. Now, that today defines a first-round NBA draft pick, top 30, right? It hasn't always meant that. The rounds were shorter back then. But you better have one, sometimes seven, eight, or nine future first-round NBA picks. When you look at it through that prism, I don't care what your national champion is. It could be 1983 NC State. I'm telling Thurl Bailey was a lottery pick, okay? Whether it was the Tar Heels of recent vintage or back when Worthy, Perkins, and Jordan were winning it all with Dean Smith in 1982. Lottery picks, okay? Similarly, on the front end, rather than looking at college basketball teams through that prism of how many later go on to the NBA, when you look at the front end, there is absolutely no doubt about it. If you want to chase and win big things, you better eventually get your share of preferably, you know, McDonald's All-Americans, etc. But at the very least, top 50 type players. And Kevin Keats, for example, has signed a lot of good players. But Markel Johnson was not a top 50 high school player. DJ Funderburk was not a top 50 high school player. The best players on his team right now, C.J. Bryce, remember, went to UNC Wilmington before transferring to NC State. Now, I love all those guys as players. And player development is a part of the equation, of course, as well. But at some point, 
when Kay and Roy and others are signing prep All-Americans left and right, you've got to get in bigger races and win more of them. Unfortunately for the pack, when Kevin Keats got a guy of that sort last year, his name was Jalen LeCue, top 50 player, phenomenal talent. He was in prep school and under kind of somewhat complicated interpretations of the rules. He was eligible for the NBA draft. He was not a traditional high school senior. So the guy that Kevin Keats signed never ends up in a Wolfpack uniform. This year, there's a point guard in Greensboro named Cam Hayes, and there's a wing player named Josh Hall at Moravian Prep here in North Carolina. They are both top 50 in the country. They are two of the probably three best players in the state of North Carolina. And they're both, along with a few others, but they're the two highest profile guys, they're both committed or signed to play with NC State. Now, that can't help this year's team, obviously. But Tony Bennett didn't win it all at UVA until he got guys like Kyle Guy and Ty Jerome. Easy to forget, they were top 50 prospects. He did a lot of other good things at UVA, sometimes with the hidden gem. And he still has hidden gems. Like Mamadi Diakite was not a top 50 high school player, but he's going to be all ACC, et cetera, maybe even all American eventually, yeah, keep developing other dudes. Eventually, you got to get those top 50 guys and you got to get them to sign. The Wolfpack getting that, the most recent announcement just yesterday, is a really good sign for the longer-term future of NC State basketball, even as I remain optimistic about this season for the Wolfpack. John Forsland, 10 minutes, your calls too on the David Glenn Show. The great difference between sport and capital E Entertainment and capital S Sport is that we don't know the outcome. And that feeling of uncertainty, positively or negatively, is unique. We are quoting Bob Ryan the way I would quote, you know, Aristotle or Confucius. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Should controversial hockey broadcaster Don Cherry be given another chance? And after Jim Rutherford went into the Hockey Hall of Fame just last night, is Rod Brindamore, current head coach of your Canes, next from this neighborhood? John Forslund joins us live from Chicago, where the Canes face the Blackhawks tonight. The voice of the Canes, next on the David Glenn Show. You like college football? It's Taj Boyd. Taj, how are you? Welcome I'm to the good. show. Dave, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited for the question that you're going to ask. Mark Richt of Georgia, please stop taking our best high school football players, but otherwise, thank you for the visit. Last thing for Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. So do we. The David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it a lot. You got it.